All right, so welcome to another episode of MEPcast. And today we're discussing the future of the European Union's industrial strategy. Um, now, clearly the, the, the pandemic has created a new reality, or we call it the new normal, but I wonder if there's anything that resembles what we considered normal in the past, but clearly it's going to affect industry and it's going to affect the way we think about its industrial strategy. So before I, I give you some thoughts on that, I would like to welcome our panel and we have a very distinguished panel with us today. And I will start with um, Lorena Ionita. Am I saying that correctly, Lorena? Yes. Lorena Ionita. Yes, who is the deputy head of unit at DG Grow. Thank you very much, Lorena. You're in Brussels, I see, teleworking, correct? Correct, I'm in Brussels. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. And then we also have Fabien Zuleg. Am I saying that right, Fabien? It's fine, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Fabian is the chief economist at the European Policy Center, as you can see from the banner behind him. Thank you very much, Fabian, for being with us today. You're also Thank in you. Brussels, yes? Or no? Also yes, in Brussels? In Brussels. Okay. And then from Athens, yes, which is where, where, where I'm located, we also have Nikos Keramidas. Nick, hello. Hi. Nick is the, the EU and Regulatory Affairs Director at Mitilineos. That's right. Thank nice you very much. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for the nice invitation. Nice to see you. We're both in Athens, about to exit lockdown as we contemplate the transition to a new way of uh, a new way of life, and as we we exit our uh, our constraints and our the measures our government has. Uh, has put upon us. Luckily, here in Greece, just to start with that, here in Greece, luckily, um, because our government took these measures early on, we're relatively, I mean, relatively, we have a lower death toll. Um, I follow the situation in Belgium, of course, because my staff is there. So hopefully everybody is happy and is healthy and safe and moving towards starting up activity again. Speaking of which, um, it's quite clear that critical supply chains have been greatly disrupted as nations have gone into lockdown to protect themselves, borders are closed. I know the EU has made a, a concerted effort to keep the green lanes open, but still there are serious disruptions. Um, generally speaking, I think that this crisis we can say is forcing sort of a, a major uh, reevaluation of our global economy, which we've discovered is is interconnected some would say too interconnected so that we need to move toward a more an approach which involves in europe for example reshoring various industries others are speaking about um strategic autonomy and what that means um now we're gonna face a recession that's for sure i don't nobody knows what the magnitude is yet and i i don't need to cite numbers some are very depressing talking about you know 10 percent others are less depressing which means five percent um clearly there's going to be a reduction in in trade and exports and imports it's going to take a while to get back to normal so um in light of these of these uh, impacts, which will also impact the aluminium industry, which is a uh, which is at the start of a long of a bunch of long value change, but I know that Nick is going to tell us about that. So here we are in what I think is a radically different world. Meanwhile, just before all this reached Europe. We had a new version, correct me if I'm wrong, Lorena, it's like the sixth version or the, of the industrial strategy or the fifth version, but a new version of the industrial strategy, um, which uh, uh, everybody, everybody has different opinions about how effective and how specific it was. But in any case, I think we'll all agree that we're gonna have to look at it um, in a different light now under the new circumstances. So having said that as an introduction, I would kindly ask all three of you to give us a five minute introduction as to what is the new reality for industry globally with an emphasis on Europe um, today after 
or during we are right now, during and then the COVID-19 health crisis. And maybe since we're we're looking at the, the big picture now, maybe it, we would start with, uh, with Fabienne on this. So please, Fabienne Zuleg, the Chief Economist at the European Policy Center, give us your perspective. Thank you very much, um, and thank you for inviting me. Um, I think it is a very dramatic situation. Um, when we're looking at the forecasts you have mentioned, um, these um, are continuously getting worse. Um, we are looking at a protracted crisis, uh, and in particular, we're looking at both a combination of a health crisis and an economic crisis. Uh, they're obviously very much interlinked, um, but we also have uh, potential negative feedback loops between them. Um, decision now about when we come out of lockdown in different countries, uh, if that is done too quickly, we might have a second wave of the pandemic which again would cause even further economic damage. Um, so uh, there is a real health crisis which needs to be managed now. And within that, uh, I think there's a very clear signal that precaution is the best um, uh, approach we can take. Um, but I think what we haven't discussed as much yet, and we shouldn't forget this crisis is rather young. Um, it is weeks, months, um, rather than years. Uh, but we haven't focused so much on the longer-term implications. And this is where I think we have to recognize that this is not a cyclical crisis. This is not just a downturn which will uh, be recovered after the immediate period of lockdown. We're talking about structural changes which are going to have a very long-term impact on the European economy, and they're going to have a differentiated impact across different sectors, across different countries, across different regions. Uh, we will see a lot of changes coming through um, for certain sectors. We are facing a situation where demand is going to be permanently lower. Uh, we are going to have to have consolidation in some sectors. Um, and here the question, of course, is how does that work across borders, both within Europe? Um, how does it work internationally? Um, you have already mentioned supply chains. Um, a number of supply chains have been disrupted. Um, but uh, I think it is unlikely that all of these supply chains will just restart again once uh, the, the borders are open. Some of these will change permanently. There might well be um, some form of reshoring uh, in particular sectors. Um, I think there's a lot of demand, for example, in the health sector to have more capacity uh, within the European Union. Um, and again, the question of how do we actually deal with this across European borders? Uh, are we going to have um, a return to um, a predominantly national member state approach? Uh, I think there have been some tendencies towards that, um, to some extent understandable, because when it comes to health, uh, the majority uh, of competences, of tools, of instruments lie at the national level. But as we're moving into the next phase of this crisis, um, then we need to see whether Member states are willing to cooperate across borders, are willing to also show solidarity across borders. It has to be part uh, of the overall picture. Uh, and how we deal with the interdependence, which will clearly still be there. And I think this is one of the big questions um, for the future. Um, I don't think that globalization will disappear. I don't think interdependence will disappear. Uh, we will still be within a global system, but we will be in a very different global environment. Uh, we will have a much greater involvement of governments, uh, not only in Europe, but across the world. Governments are taking over businesses, they're heavily subsidizing um, industries. How do we deal, for example, with the competition uh, in areas such as aviation? Um, is it going to be the result uh, that Europe uh, loses its ends while other continents, countries continue to subsidize theirs? Um, these are big questions which we are going to have to answer. Um, and I think we need to start coming up with a plan um, at the European level. And for me, this is the context in which we have to look again at the industrial strategy. Great. That's very clear, Fabian. So I, I, I take as, as key takeaways, the changes are permanent. They're rather radical. Things are never going 
going to be the same. And though we'll be interdependent, uh, we still will have state government actors at the forefront, at least for a while. So we need a plan. So I moved to, to Lorena for, um, for the plan. <laughs> so the, that's what the industrial energy, in fact, is. It's, it's supposed to be Europe's plan on how to deal with industry to keep it competitive, digitize, more green, lots of objectives. But now we're in this new, permanent, radically changed reality that uh, Fabian has just described. So what does that do for the plan, Lorena? Yes. Uh, so from uh, uh, our perspective, we believe the industrial strategy, which has been issued on 10th of March, that is to say days before the crisis broke out in Europe, is still uh, valid and it will be crucial for the recovery uh, of the European industry. It will be crucial because it, uh, it provides a vision and a long-term vision for the European industry, which is um, more resilient, which is greener and is more digital. And not only we think that uh, with the crisis, um, uh, the industrial strategy issued on the 10th of March is still valid, but its priorities are being enhanced. And why? A few examples. Uh, we have seen that a, a well-functioning single market is even more important. We have seen that with the crisis, and I will go back to it to explain in detail why. And this is a functioning uh, single market it is important for securing supplies. Secondly, we have the need for accelerating digital transformation of Europe. Thirdly, we have seen the importance of strategic autonomy and of uh, reducing dependencies of, on others, uh, on third parties, uh, for things we need most. Uh, now, that being said, since a few weeks, we have to look at the implementation schedule, and uh, maybe it is clear that the implementation has to be revised. And this is why the Commission will revise the work program for 2020 to push certain initiatives which will um, foster recovery and maybe delay certain uh, initiatives which become uh, less urgent in the current crisis. But let me explain a bit uh, why we think that the industrial strategy from 10th of March uh, remains uh, valid from uh, in the near future and also in the long future. That is because the uh, key objectives of the strategy um, are, are still valid and those are the global competitiveness of your industry that is uh, shaping uh, the digital uh, uh, future of Europe, that is uh, uh, ensuring the European industry becomes climate neutral by 2050 and enhancing strategic autonomy. These are the priorities and the key objective of the industrial strategy and we believe these are uh, remaining uh, valid. Um, first, let me uh, say something about the um, uh, green and the digital transformation. It was. It is clear from the uh, recovery, uh, the uh, European um, roadmap for recovery, which, is, which was discussed by the European Council, that the green and digital transformation uh, of the European economies will be priorities uh, as as uh, we need to modernize and revitalize our economies. Um, it is clear since the crisis uh, how important is the digital for the functioning of the European economy, and it is clear that we need to accelerate this digital transformation. Secondly, uh, climate uh, change is there to stay, and we need to prepare for the future. The European Green Deal uh, is a good basis, and it's not only a good plan uh, and a long-term orientation for dealing with the climate crisis, but also it's a growth strategy which will put uh, uh, Europe um, back to the path of growth and jobs, but will, uh, but will also um, bring us resilience and less dependency on others. Uh, why? Because we need to invest in um, investing in clean and in digital uh, technologies will provide that sustainable growth, but will also um, diverse, diversify the supply chains in Europe, which will make us more resilient and less, um, uh, and less dependent. 
Um, I have mentioned the importance of the single market and that's a priority of the strategy because it's important for scaling up uh, and for the competitiveness of the industry. And we have seen that a functioning uh, uh, single market is important for a functioning supply chains. Uh, strategic autonomy is, uh, is again a priority of the industrial strategy and we have seen the importance of that um, on the, uh, the, reducing, uh, the importance of reducing the uh, dependence on others for things we need most like uh, critical uh, equipment and infrastructure uh, or pharmaceutical. Uh, and we also need to look at um, the opportunities of localization, localization uh, as an opportunity to bring uh, some of the industries and sectors back to Europe. And uh, one important element, and I will go, come back to that maybe in the subsequent discussion, is that the industrial strategy focuses on uh, industrial ecosystem. This is a new way of working with industry and with the players along the value chains. We have seen how important is the value chains and the industrial ecosystem with this crisis. We have seen how interdependent they are, independent where they are located geographically. Um, we have seen how uh, economically dependent they are. And if parts of the value chains are having difficulties, the whole value chain is in difficulty. And we have worked since the beginning of the crisis with the industrial ecosystem. Our commissioner, Commissioner Breton, has read, had regular meetings with the uh, industrial stakeholders from the industrial ecosystem to look first at what is the immediate need uh, in terms of uh, liquidity, in terms of uh, dealing with the impact of uh, collapsing demand or with the bottlenecks uh, in the supply chain. Okay. But we have also, just one second to finish, sure. we are now also looking, focusing the recovery on the needs of this industrial ecosystem and we are undertaking um, a thorough analysis of what their needs are for the recovery. Uh, also to, be, to make them res more resilient and greener and more digital. All right, so basically we've validated the objective and the strategy in the crisis. The crisis has, has shown us that yes, these objectives and these priorities are valid, they're more urgent. You're looking perhaps at what the priority should be in terms of implementation. We'll come back to ecosystems, but before we, we look at the ecosystems, let's Let's get practical because some of the criticism that I've been reading for about the EU's industrial strategy is great. It has a vision, it has objectives, it has, um, it has uh, goals, um, it has policies. But when it comes to being concrete and specific, um, that's where the weakness lies. So let's look at industry's perspective. Now, the, the aluminium industry already was facing a number of problems. I've looked into this. I've had, we've had this discussion many times, Nick, um, and, and talked about how the industrial policy needs to address uh, these, these shortcomings, these, uh, the competitiveness issues, the regulatory bottlenecks, the, the, the actors that are not playing by the rules, all these things. So give us industry perspective, please, Nick. Well, uh uh, thank you, Anna Michelle. Uh, first of all, let me start by uh, outlining the impact of the COVID crisis on the sector. I mean, the, this has led to massive disruptions in our sector. I'm, not, I'm just going to talk about the aluminum industry, although we're also an energy producer. We also uh, construct EPC works, storage uh, facilities, uh, renewables plants all over the world. And these have taken a massive hit as well. But I'm just going to focus on the industrial perspective okay. for, this, for the yes. time being. Um, so the aluminum industry, uh, we've seen a very sharp drop in demand, uh, car and plane manufacturers and so on. Companies that use our products have curtailed operation or altogether on hold. And uh, the result is that global aluminum prices have collapsed to levels that we hadn't seen since World War II. So uh, we have roughly 50% of primary aluminum production globally currently underwater, as we call it. So they can't even cover their production costs. Quite a few of them are located in Europe. As you rightly said, uh, the COVID crisis came on top of uh, uh, President Trump's uh, decision to impose additional tariffs on US imports. 
and uh, of course amidst the debate on the European Green Deal. And I would like to focus on that issue because it uh, is of major concern to the European Commission. Uh, we heard Mrs. Ayanita focusing on the fact that the, the industrial strategy has to uh, take into consideration going greener. Uh, and um, naturally, this will have opportunities and challenges for our sector. As Mitilineos, we've put out a pledge that by 2030, we intend to have our entire metallurgy business fully green. And uh, this is a, a sort of a promise. It's really hard. It's uh, right now it seems impossible, but we're uh, going to fight for it. Now, let me uh, give you the framework. Before the crisis, demand for aluminium had been steadily increasing, right? right. And it should be expected to continue increasing because aluminium, like other non-ferrous metals, is really an enabler of the transition. So it's used for rest equipment, lightweight vehicles, energy efficient buildings, you name it. We've got uh, several reports uh, stating that also. Um, but the EU's climate policies have created some additional costs for the European industry, some of them really considerable. And it's becoming harder and harder for us to compete against companies from other regions of the world which don't face the same cost, simply. And let me just be clear about this. In our sector, the aluminium industry, we're way past referring to carbon leakage as a risk. It's already happening and it's very, very real. So Europe has lost roughly 36% of its aluminium production capacity since 2008. We had 36 smelters operating in Europe and 10 of those have closed. And I'm now counting three smelters that have recently announced closure as well. Uh, this production has been replaced exclusively by Chinese companies. So China's share used to be around 10% in 2000, meeting global demand and roughly 60% today. Now, the carbon footprint of China's aluminum production is three times higher than that of European aluminum production. So I'm going to come back to what I mean by carbon leakage a bit later. Setting aside carbon leakage, though, we also mentioned how the erosion of the Europe, Europe's industrial base has created an over-reliance on imports, which is actually threatening Europe's sovereignty. And it's good that we're discussing strategic autonomy. Most of our imports come from one single source, that's China. And uh, we had a recent UN report which actually estimated that in February 2020 alone, the slowdown in Chinese manufacturing led to $50 billion decrease in global exports. And the European Union was unfortunately by far the most negatively affected third country economy, which is really, really disturbing and worrying. So coming back to climate, Europe is once again setting extremely ambitious climate agendas for itself right now. Reaching these targets will require massive investment. I hope you can talk about this later because investment is really, really crucial, particularly in these times. And in order to do so, we also need to safeguard our access to key products and raw materials. So we need an industrial strategy that's capable of not only preserving, but also boosting global competitiveness of Europe's producers, Europe's production. So this would lead reasonably to two key benefits, security of supply for those products and materials, perhaps safeguarding us against future shocks to global supply chains, such as the one we're facing right now. And from a climate perspective, boosting the European production, which is already amongst the greenest in the world, if not the greenest and never ceases to improve, would actually not only reduce our imports of carbon intensive products, but it would also decrease global emissions. And this is a really, really significant argument I'd like to raise. Uh, i uh, go into that now. Or, no, I think uh, we're, we're getting a good, uh, I, I think what, what I'm hearing is because this is sort of a refresher from the, pro the problems you were facing were that were pretty much haven't changed, just everything has come to a halt. Well, um, except now you're facing you're facing much lower demand than you were before. At least you had a you know you had a prospect of of meeting greater demand, which we hope will return when when economic activity resumes. Um, I'll have to uh, agree with Fabian on that. I don't we don't expect it. Uh, from our uh, studies and uh, estimates, we don't expect to just bounce right. back right away this is right. uh here to uh, we'll see what's going to bounce back so for so fabian 
we we now i mean the you've heard what the commission is saying yes okay our objectives are the general plan has been validated we we push forward with this industry is looking to see you know what this means for them what what are the priorities what are the concrete priorities in terms of industrial sectors and in terms of actions think that the EU should include in, in its in its industrial strategy as it revisits it revisits it when Lorena says we're now moving to see what we should be doing in terms of implementation and we're examining these value chains which are the value chains or what are we calling them now Lorena we're calling them um, industrial clusters or no we're calling them Industrial ecosystems. ecosystems, yes. What are the ecosystems, value chains, call them whatever you want, and what are the actions that the EU should be taking? Well, I think I have to start with uh, disagreeing with Lorena a little bit. Um, because I think, uh, yes, it is true that the objectives have been validated by this crisis. Um, they are as relevant as they have been before, um, and in some cases, uh, they have even been uh, reinforced by this uh, crisis. If we're looking at strategic autonomy, for example, uh, it clearly uh, has a higher um, priority now than it had before the crisis. Um, but I think what we have to be careful uh, with is the actions uh, which we are um, deducing from that, because uh, we are in a different environment. And in that environment, things will function differently. Um, just to give one example, but we could expand this to other areas, we will have massive state aid in a variety of different sectors, um, not only in the short term, but for a long period to come. Uh, how do we deal with that? Uh, what we had beforehand was a world in which we have been trying, and rightly so, I would argue, for that environment to reduce state aids, to try to get to a point where we have very fair competition across borders, also because we have recognized uh, that there's a very different capacity across borders. Some governments can do far more than other governments. Right. But now we're in a situation where state aid will become endemic. Um, it will be something which is used by all countries, but these different capacities are still there. Um, so what happens if an industry is subsidized very strongly in Germany with uh, the resources which are there uh, to do that. Uh, and as a result, in a different part of Europe, that same industry cannot survive. That is the reality I think we, we have to face now. And that also means we have to look at the instruments um, with which we are trying to address this. The same thing when we're looking at the global environment. Uh, we have been very critical in recent years uh, with the Chinese government about state involvement in industry. Uh, now we're talking about a situation where state involvement in Europe is going to be very significant and it's going to be on a permanent basis or a semi-permanent basis in many different sectors. So what is our narrative globally? Uh, can we actually go to the Chinese and criticize them for something which we are now doing uh, within this crisis? So I think we have to think about uh, what does this mean for our long-term policies? Um, and for me, one of the implications here also has to be that we have to think of this um, truly at the European level. Um, what we have had up to now um, is uh, in different combinations, but it has always been about predominantly member state action and coordination at the European level, complementary action at the European level. Um, but if we are now looking at a situation where this interdependence will have a massive uh, impact on the survival of industry, not just uh, the profitability or competitiveness. Uh, it will determine whether industry survives in certain countries or not. Uh, I think we actually have to um, have a different approach at uh, the, the European strategy. And that also means selecting the right value chains, um, making sure that uh, we also focus on both. Um, we have the problem now that many value chains which are being affected will have to be supported, um, whether they are particularly innovative, particularly global. For example, the tourism industry um, is something which we will have to support um, through this crisis. But at the same time, we also need to look at the high end, the technology, 
the long-term um, important strategies. So, for example, digitalization, I would fully agree, mm -hmm. has become more important. And again, here we have to look at the global environment. Uh, who are the big winners uh, in this crisis? Um, it is actually the big platforms. It is online uh, businesses which are able to continue at the moment. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And how do we actually um, regulate that? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the uncomfortable truth that the vast majority of those businesses are not European? Okay, then again, you know, these businesses can operate, but even virtual businesses are based on some sort of reality. So, I mean, if, you know, if any commerce is flourishing and then goods can't reach you, then you don't have e-commerce, you don't have commerce. So you have Absolutely. to... You have to deal with deal with both, and I I understand the you know the the conundrum of criticizing the Chinese model for being state driven capitalism and then having to implement our own you know sort of state state supported uh, system. Um, I don't know for how long and under what terms, and, and this this might be an interesting an interesting experiment for for many of us. But Lorena, let's let's get let's let's tackle these um the the commissioner speaking to commissioner breton speaking to itre last week mentioned these uh 14 coherent industrial uh ecosystems representing altogether more than 50 percent of eu's added value and i quote um we haven't really seen them yet um i don't know how we're going to choose them i know i know obviously you're not going to reveal them to us today if they've been decided but can you give us some insights into how these ecosystems which now as fabian correctly said are you know critical in in the choices of, of how we go forward to reach the more the, the valid objectives of strategic autonomy competitiveness etc okay Thank you. Uh, actually, this also gives me uh, the uh, opportunity uh, to respond to Fabian and to Fabian's concerns. Um, let me first explain the concept of ecosystems and why we think this is the right approach uh, to, um, to address the recovery. Um, first, the ecosystem basically encompasses all players uh, in a value chain whether it is um, small companies, large companies, SMEs, startups, service providers, training centers, research institutes, it's the whole value chain. And what is also a characteristic of this uh, ecosystem, each they have their own characteristic, but they all face the same reality, is they, they are functioning in an integrated single market, and throughout their value chains, they have services activities, research, production, engineering, spreading all across several EU countries. So if one uh, company is in difficulty within the value chain, the whole value chain is in difficulty. So this is why we think that approaching recovery through this perspective is uh, the right thing to do, and it's a pure European approach. This does away with the national divisions and national ideologies, because support is better to support uh, in, uh, companies uh, based on the needs of the ecosystem than support companies uh, depending on the financial capabilities of that on that member state, uh, because as Fabian was mentioning, certain member states, they have more financial room than others. They have more capacities than others to provide status or to provide support. So this is why we think that this approach to, ec to European ecosystems uh, um, is, is the right one, and it will also allow for a symmetric recovery uh, across the EU member states. Um, it will also ensure um, the level playing field within the single market because, as I said, then you support the value chains across Europe, not um, different companies uh, situated in different member states depending on the national situation of the member states. Now, uh, where we are now, uh, the European Council entrusted the Commission with the task to uh, have a thorough analysis uh, of the ecosystem and to identify the, their needs for the recovery 
so the immediate need for financing now, but also the need in terms of longer transformation so that they become greener, more digital and more resilient. So we look at the short term uh, needs, but also the longer term transformation needs. Um, the commissioners spoke about this uh, 14 uh, industrial ecosystem, and he also mentioned that uh, um, uh, the, uh, among the most affected are the tourism and the local businesses and distribution and having industry, uh, which uh, they all represent uh, some 50% of the needs. Uh, for the rest, uh, the work uh, is ongoing on um, uh, analysis and of the needs. Um, and we will uh, come uh, come back to it soon and we are working with uh, the uh, players in within this uh, uh, ecosystem but i think it is important to uh, that uh, uh, everybody uh, member state parliament uh, industry is behind the, this approach okay so first we're going to identify them then we're going to save them in the short term, make sure they don't collapse and then we're going to try and transform them and make them greener and more digital in the long term but my I question is my I question to, to, add, to add that we are looking at their financial needs but mm -hmm. also we are looking at uh what other support measures right. need including in terms of regulation okay of course can, can i just ask lorena i mean when we talk about short term i mean when are we going to know what these ecosystems are is there is there a a, a, a timeline for this uh, as you know, the Commission is now working on a recovery plan uh, on the basis also of a new MFF and uh, this should be shortly announced and I expect that uh, more clarity on the okay. needs of this ecosystem will be revealed under this recovery plan to be, to be uh, published soon. Okay, thank you for that clarification. So what about your, the ecosystems that the aluminium industry is in? Because you're... you're well, uh, many values, many ecosystems, many is, is what would you call them? And what do you think of this approach from the perspective of industry, Nick? I mean, is uh, that's this, true. Is this all, something I mean, uh, that? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. That satisfies you. Is this is this an approach that you think is coherent? Is a better approach than looking at it piecemeal or through the lens of a member state or through the lens of one specific industry? Well, um, I think um, actually uh, this uh, approach might be productive. Um, we are eagerly waiting for it to be finalized, uh, but uh, I think this approach might actually um, help in the direction of uh, creating a more, Europe, more European approach rather than uh, you know, uh, allowing member state companies, well, companies look at member states to rely on the capabilities of their own member state, rather uh, focusing on a more European approach. Uh, I think Business Europe uh, also addressed a letter earlier uh, uh, this month uh, to the commissioners saying that we actually need more Europe. And uh, we all saw that in uh, Mr. Breton's uh, uh, statements to uh, Idris. So um, yeah, that's that sounds promising. Although I must say, I, we were kind of disappointed, or well, uh, rather disappointed that the industrial strategy paper that was published on the 10th of March did not include any of the non-ferrous metals or aluminium, for that matter. Uh, it, it did highlight steel and chemicals, but uh, for some reason, aluminium was not there, and uh, I think that was an omission that has to be rectified. Uh, but uh, I wanted to raise something that, uh, to build on something that Fabiano already alluded to earlier, which is the fact that uh, we uh, obviously uh, use this uh, crisis. We may use this crisis to uh, realize that uh, some of our objectives and some of our trajectories uh, were accurate, correct, and we should uphold them and maybe reinforce them. But we also need to be pragmatic and maybe even bold and reassess some of those objectives. And um, I'm not discussing about digitization, I'm not discussing strategic autonomy, and I'm not even attacking uh, the uh, Green Deal per se. I am um, calling for uh, reconsideration of uh, the way we approach the climate uh, tr uh, change uh, efforts of Europe. So um, what we've seen 
is that uh, Europe has uh, focused on reducing its own emissions and this process, unfortunately, uh, unintentionally, it's led to an increase of global emissions. It's not Europe's fault, but it is something that has actually happened. It's documented and it's uh, in part due to the fact that uh, I described earlier, which is we're shifting production of materials, products, raw materials and so on outside Europe where it's being produced in a more carbon intensive manner. I was at a panel debate a couple of months ago with one of the most uh, influential climate think tanks of Europe and um, I don't want to name them, but uh, the, um, when I uh, raised this issue, uh, the reaction was, uh, well, first of all, they looked at me as if I'm a climate enemy or something. And uh, the reaction was, yes, but we have to look at what kind of industry we want in Europe. Uh, I think that's a misleading question, actually. We need to look at what the debate is, the demand for products is, and make sure that this demand is met with the least carbon intensive product production globally, because climate change is a global problem. It's not something that we can uh, solve on our own. It's not something we can produce on our own. Quite frankly, we've been really, really aggressive in uh, tackling climate change. For instance, um, we've dropped by 36% our own emissions as an European industry since 1990. And the global energy-related CO2 emissions, unfortunately, increased in 2018 by 1.7%, even though Europe achieved a 1.3% reduction because of China. So we are reducing emissions in Europe, but we're navel-gazing, basically. We're chasing our tails. And this is really unfortunate. We may need to re rethink our climate approach so as to be more efficient, more effective. I'm not attacking we're not attacking the sense of urgency. We're not attacking the objective per se, the long-term objective, the 2050 vision, not even the 2030. But let me uh, give you one point on the 2030 climate targets, for instance. After five years of discussing on the clean energy package, where we, find, uh, we reached the agreement as a Europe, Europe as a whole on 40% emission reduction, all of a sudden, the new question that's uh, come about is, are we now going for 50 or for 55%? We didn't even discuss it's, if it's gonna be something in between. We didn't even discuss whether or not this raising of ambition, this aggressive, uh, aggressively ambitious uh, policy is having a positive impact on the climate itself, let alone the economy. And for the economy, let me just say that uh, back in 2018, if I recall correctly, we discussed um, the long-term strategy of the commission for achieving uh, climate neutrality by 2050, discussed how it, we would need roughly 1.4 trillion euros of annual investment to reach climate neutrality, right, by 2050. So raising the bar for 2030 on emission reductions would really, really make the first decade extremely more costly because it would bring forward a lot of added investment to less mature technologies currently. And under current circumstances, the recession that we're all looking at after the COVID, I am thinking that maybe we should sit down and consult in realistic terms whether our economy is up for the task. So Nick, the, the, uh, how the Green Deal and the targets are affected by COVID-19 is a whole, uh, a whole new, uh, a, whole, a whole topic of discussion that's linked, of course, to industrial strategy. Exactly. So, it's, it's directly um, linked. Exactly. It, is. it is. Of course it is. Everything is linked. I think if we've all learned something from this crisis is that not just supply chains or policies are linked, nations are linked, Everything is linked, and we are going to just have to figure it out all together now. We in the European Parliament, in the European Parliament, I have to answer to the people who sent me there, and I have to ask, I have to answer to my constituents, and I have to tell them, you know, what is Europe doing for this crisis? So, if, if they're working in one of these uh, ecosystems, they want to know if they're going to lose their job. They want to know. Um, if they're, if, if they're, what the future is, if they're going to be secure in their jobs, um, they have a lot of questions, which, which I need to answer. And the critical one 
is is Europe doing enough? That's always this. That's always the question. Whether we're talking about the industrial strategy, or whether we're talking about the economic recovery, or whether we're talking about regulating medical supplies or procurement. So um, I, I would like to um, I would like to thank all of you for giving us insights in how how COVID nineteen has affected the industrial strategy in in particular. And I would invite you in closing this session um, to give me, um, let's say, the number one uh, focus you think, or the number one change, or the most important aspect of EU in EU's industrial policy value added. What should the EU be doing? What is the number one thing that the EU should be focus focusing on? in revisiting its industrial strategy as a result of the COVID virus. What do I tell my constituents now? COVID-19 has now made the EU relook at the industrial strategy. And the number one thing that we think we need to do to make people's lives in Europe better, to, to ensure their livelihood um, is, Fabien. I will have to give you three things um, because oh I think there okay. are also different phases in this. Um, and I think number one has to be clearly uh, we have to deal with the health crisis. Uh, and that has to be the absolute priority. Uh, and there, Europe has to do whatever it can to support the member states in dealing with this. Uh, that also includes the single market, making sure that supplies are getting across borders, that uh, we have the medical supplies where they are needed. Um, so there's a role for Europe there, although we have to recognize that the primary response has to be the national healthcare. Um, we then move into the second phase of this, which is about maintaining jobs. It is about um, making sure that in this period of enforced lockdown, um, as many jobs are being saved, as many companies are being saved, and that means bridging. It means helping them to get over this um, period without accumulating huge liabilities, without ac accumulating something which will stop them from ever going back uh, into business once this lockdown period uh, finishes. Um, but then comes the really tricky question, which is the long term. Um, where do we go in the third phase when we will have a long term economic downturn? And for me here, the big question is, how do we deal with excess capacity? Uh, excess capacity both globally and excess capacity in Europe. Um, we will have to find a way uh, of reducing activity in a number of areas. Um, that will be difficult uh, because it also has an implication for jobs, while at the same time investing in areas where there are opportunities also for the future. Um, so the responses in the different phases of this crisis have to be very different. And if we get that wrong, um, what we will end up with in the last phase uh, is a very uneven distribution of the impact, where um, some countries will lose far more than other countries. Uh, and that will not only um, put uh, the competitiveness of European industry in question, that will actually put the whole European project in question. Because if we are getting into a situation where in the end, uh, what uh, determines how well you get out of the crisis is what means you had before the crisis, uh, then we really have a political problem. Um, so I think it's very, very important that this is coordinated or even more strongly that this is actually a European strategy of how we deal with that, not a national strategy. Okay. Lorena? Uh, I will, uh, like, uh, like Fabian, um, I will also distinguish between short term and long term. Okay. We have discussed a lot about the industrial strategy and uh, the, its long term vision. But uh, let me say it clearly that uh, first we must start uh, by saving the industry because this will have an impact on the industrial and technological capabilities. Otherwise, if we do not save European industry, uh, we risk Europe, uh, Europe's industrial and technological uh, downgrading. Uh, so this is the first, um, the first we have to save the industry and uh, our commissioner, Commissioner Breton, in front of ITRE last week was clear that we cannot emerge from this crisis with our European companies, the worst financial and competitive situation compared to their global peers. 
because of massive public support, especially in US and China, and that also addresses a concern that Fabian raised uh, earlier on. But again, I do confirm that what I said earlier, that the industrial strategy's priorities not only remain valid, but they have been raised, reinforced with the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and we, um, we believe that the strategy provides the vision to uh, uh, make sure that the European industry emerges from this crisis greener, more digital and more resilient. And if we need really one thing now is that we are, we are all in this, this together. We need collective responsibility. We need uh, a joint commitment and partnership uh, with the European Parliament, with member states, with industry to make the most of the recovery and of the industrial transformation. Thank you very much, Lorena. Nick, what about industry? Well, I, what does it say is the top priority in revisiting the industrial strategy? Well, if we are to achieve our recovery goals as Europe, and that includes, of course, climate goals, as we've um, heard right now, we do need a robust industrial strategy. And we also need a bold review of competition policy. We have to explicitly declare that global competitiveness of the European industry is an objective of common interest. That will solve a lot of things. You know it as a lawyer as well. Um, this exercise covers DG Grow, Comp, Trade, we're calling for a massive review of state aid policies, M&A policies, trade policies and instruments as well. We're talking about bolder approach of uh, trade policies and carefully defining our strategic industrial sectors. What I'm saying, and I'm closing with this, is that supporting and boosting sustainable production in Europe would not just help in our struggle to revive our economy and fight climate change, it will also send a very strong signal to our global trading partners that decarbonization and our path, the European way makes sense, not just from a climate perspective, but also economically. That's it. Well, thank you very, very much for this very fruitful and insightful um, discussion. Uh, I hope you, we, we, we all need to, our first, uh, our first thoughts are staying now safe and healthy and then uh, productive and dealing with this crisis. So many thanks again, Lorena Ionita, Deputy um, Head of Unit at DG Grow. Thank you very much. Thank you very Fabian Zuleg, our Chief Economist at the European Policy Center. Thank you very much. And Nick Keramidas, EU and Regulatory Affairs Director at Mitiglinaus. Thank you so much for joining me today on Thank Metcast. Signing Thanks. out. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.